start with a word of prayer and come at this time to the Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for the joy, the hope, the grace on which we stand, Lord. Everything else is sinking sand around us, Lord. We want to thank you that our greatest confidence is you, Lord, the cornerstone of our lives, the cornerstone of our faith, Lord. Without you, Lord, we would not have the confidence, just like how Nehemiah had the confidence to call your name. Lord, without you, we would be calling out vainly into the sky, Lord, as to that someone would reach out and help us. But we want to thank you that our, that our prayer reaches your throne room and you respond, Lord. Thank you for giving us this opportunity as a church to come into your presence, Lord, to partake from the table. This new covenant that you had forged through your death and your sacrifice, we want to thank you that how sweet it is, Lord, to remember you, our God and our Savior. We also pray, Lord, as we look into Acts 27, Lord, we would not be caught at what happens at sea, but we would be drawn towards of how Paul lives his life in the midst of uncertainty in the sea, Lord, in the midst of a wreck, in the midst of people, in the midst of enemies, Lord. Lord, we thank you for giving us as a church to freely come together. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church across the world. We understand that they are going through their own storms, Lord. And Father, we thank you that you being with them is the greatest hope that one can have, just as you are with us, Lord. Lord, with content hearts, with hungering spirits to fill us with your word, that we will look to you, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus Christ's most precious name we pray. Amen. You know, we're just going to look into a bit of highlights from Acts chapter 26. Two two portions we were not able to uh, look into. So a quick few highlights. There was a prophecy over Paul. That was in Acts 9 verses 15. And this is what the Lord tells. I will send him to the Gentiles to stand before governors and kings that he may bear my name before them as well as before the sons of men. Chapter 25, Acts 25 and 26. This prophecy is slowly getting fulfilled. Is that true? It's not about which governor or which king, but he was now proclaiming what God was asking. First he went to the Jews, and then he started to go to the Gentiles, and now he's going to stand before governors and kings. 25 and 26, he stands before Felix, Festus. And now in chapter 27, Paul stands before King Agrippa and defends against the Jewish acquisitions. You know, Paul, as he he stands, um, by the way, that is... That is the ruins of the palace of King Agrippa the second, um, and probably probably that could be the areas where Paul had these conversations with Agrippa. You know, there in this place, probably in front of Agrippa, in front of the the other council members of, of royalty, you know, he shares about his encounter with Jesus. And now that he's fulfilling the divine commission entrusted to him. There was a verbal encounter between Festus and Paul. And Paul says, Festus, I'm not mad. I'm not insane. 
you know, when he tries to make King Agrippa agree with him on a few terms, on the prophets, on the law. And Agrippa responds back to Paul, says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian, Paul? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become just as I am, except for these chains. King Agrippa, very politically, you know, all the, everybody decides to leave. And they come up with this statement that this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Paul was going to Caesar. How many of us care for Paul? Even, you know, even now as we read scripture, how many of us really feel for Paul? You can just raise your hands. How many of us really feel for him? You know, we, there's a kind of a connect between Paul and us, right? Is that true? Yeah. And we don't, we know he's going to be with the Lord, but we're just hoping that it doesn't happen in a particular way, right? You know, how much of we care for him, we have to understand that in a practical sense, that Paul appealed to Caesar, he will go. The Lord is going to send him to Rome in agreement to Acts 23 verse 11, that as he's testified in Jerusalem, he will go to Rome. And we're going to see the fine hand of God moving over land, over water, to carry out God's purposes in, in Paul's life. God was fulfilling God's purposes for Paul's life. God was fulfilling God's purposes in Paul's life. I pray that that would be the prayer for each one of us. You know, Paul was completely surrendered. He was completely surrendered. He knew he was going to Rome. He knew what awaited him there. He, you know, even in our last cell group on Friday, we discussed of how the Lord stood by him and encouraged him as well. In Acts 27, so now we move from 26 to 27. We're going to go through a bit of um, a sea journey. Okay, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I, this is a difficult sea journey. There is tempest. There is shipwreck. Just to make it positive, I've worn like a maritime shirt just to keep us all, you know, that, you know, there's, there's good coming out of it. Okay. But let us look as to what is going to happen. You know, this journey, right, if you look from here, it starts from here. Jerusalem, he's come to Caesarea. Okay, Caesarea. And that is the ship journey that this chapter talks about. And Raventh is going to handle us handle chapter 28 right over here and then Paul heads to Rome. Okay. Just want to also encourage us. Paul in his final journey is making an impact. He doesn't care where he is. In land, I'll make an impact. On the steps of the fort, I'll make an impact. In front of Agrippa, I'll make an impact. Can you believe this man is going to make an impact all the way there? He's unbelievable. He, is, and he does not care about his circumstances. I'm pretty sure many of you like Lego. Yeah? Not only the kids, but I know that you know, adults also like to put those little Lego pieces and build it around. So we're going to just see how this little journey went, just to build the context. Ship number one starts from here. Okay, he's taken from Jerusalem comes to Caesarea, and there he gets onto a ship. The first stop of the ship is 
Sidon, from there, it somehow manages to go around and land in and, and dock in Myra. That's the first ship Paul was in. This is not a luxury liner. Uh, this is not uh, um, ships with seats. Okay, It's a normal grain ship, a cargo ship. Then from Myra, Myra is here, Myra is here. There's an Alexandrian ship. It's a coast-hugging merchant vessel that stops by to load and unload cargo, produce grains. Grain moving from Alexandria to Italy was extremely important for Rome's stability. And this, this portion, right, uh, from Myra, they're taking the Alexandrian ship. This, this passage through the Mediterranean Sea um, is after September 11th, they say that it's extremely difficult. Post-November 11th, it's disastrous. But looks like that this grain carrier is making a winter run. And there is precious cargo in that, which includes, apart from grain, it includes the apostle of the Lord, Jesus Christ. So the, so the, the ship left from Myra. Hang in there, okay? And then you saw this place called Snidus. It reaches Snidus. It reaches Snidus. And from there, through difficulty, it reaches a place called Fair Havens. Fair Havens is not fair, huh? It's nor is it a haven. Okay, it's a very dangerous place for a ship to dock. You know, Acts 27 verse 10 says, he says, something Paul says, huh? he's not the captain, he's not in charge, but he says something. He says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But nobody listened to him. What will the slaves say? Yaar? They do not know that Paul has been through three shipwrecks and he can confidently talk about what it is to be at sea. Now somehow, I think God just purposed the storm. The ship gets, they wanted to dock, they wanted to move from Fair Havens to Phoenix. That's not the US, by the way. Okay, Fair Havens to Phoenix, because that was a port that was fair enough for them to dock. But then the Lord sends a wind, the northeaster. In other translation, it says the Euroclidon and takes the ship from there. And this looks to be a fair line, right? It was actually all over here. Okay, they were tossed at sea and somehow they actually managed. You know, en route to here, there used to be sandbars that is called um, the sandbars of Sirtis, sandbars of Sirtis. It was considered to be the Bermuda Triangle of those days, probably as per maritime, uh, you know, archaeologists and historians. Whatever crashed there, crashes. I just wanted to give you this glimpse that this is the journey that this apostle was taking. Even though circumstances looked very bleak. Now, who were the people in the ship? Just to give an idea. Okay, so now we got, there are two ships. The Alexandrian ship Paul is in. Okay? And this is the route that he had to, 
he had to cover till the shipwreck happens in Malta. Now, who were people in the ship? There was Luke. Look at 27 verses 2. It says, we put to sea. That means Luke was present in the ship, right? Who else was there? 27 verses 2b, it says, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. He was, in fact, a Thessalonian member of the delegation bringing the relief fund to Jerusalem. Something about these two brothers, huh? they probably had to uh, enroll them as slaves in the ships to be there for Paul. Okay, just imagine Luke and Aristarchus enrolled themselves as slaves probably to be part of this team that is going. Colossians 4 verse 10 tells about this brother Aristarchus. You know, hardly we hear about him. It says he was Paul's fellow prisoner and fellow laborer. Philemon chapter 1 verses 24 tells again about this Aristarchus. That he traveled with Paul all the way to Rome. Godly friendships. Godly friendships is so important and just want to leave that with you. A total of 276 lives. Or shall we name them 276 souls? Could be one in this journey. Is Paul up for it? 276 souls. Now, there was the owner of the ship, the captain of the ship, the crew of the ship, the prisoners in the ship. Because they're prisoners, there will be soldiers in the ship. Because there are soldiers, there is also Julius, the officer in charge. It's not a normal evangelistic meeting for Paul. And as we go through this narrative, you know, there's a high tendency for us to get pulled into the winds of our own personal life storms, right? And you know what? I'm very sure that each one of us have gone through our personal storms. But in this bleak picture, can we learn of how we can emulate Paul's faith and trust in God in the midst of a hopeless situation? Keep in mind, keep in mind. I just want to encourage us all. Keep in mind. I request all of us to listen. Keep in mind. Let's look outward as we listen to the sermon today. Acts 27 verses 21 to 26. Those are some of the key verses we'll be looking at. It says that, look at verse 22. Okay, Paul stands up in their midst and says that you should have actually listened to me, but I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Why? For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship or serve. And he says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And I like verse 25. He says, so take heart, men, for I believe God. Take heart. I believe in God. Then he says, guys, FYI, there's going to be a crash happening. You know, look at verse 21 to 22. Paul encourages the crew. Think about it. If we are part of the 276, Paul, we can witness Paul encouraging the crew. Verse 20 says that they thought that all, you know, the hope of being saved was lost and abandoned. 
Everyone in the ship along with Paul and his friends were battered because of the storm. There was no sun. There was no stars. There was only violent storms. There was no hope. Looks like everything is lost. But Paul encourages them first by talking to them and asking them to eat. And then he also says, please listen to me. You know, he encourages them physically, emotionally and mentally in whatever way possible, but with confidence in God. You know, he also boldly claims, and this is something that you should all take away. Kids, even all of us, you know, the young adults and all of us who are married, wherever we are, Paul boldly claims that he belongs to God. He serves this God and believes God. You know, in this case, it is not that the Lord himself appeared to Paul. Who appeared? An angel of the Lord. And that was enough for Paul to gain strength from. It had the same effect as if Jesus would have appeared to him. Paul knew that he was not alone or abandoned. Even during the violent storm in the midst of his enemies, bound as a prisoner to Rome, Paul knew his God well. You know, in, in Corinth, in Jerusalem, we know that how the Lord appeared to him. And you know, in uh, 2 Timothy 4.17, he says, it says, then he added, oh, sorry, it says that he would later experience in the final imprisonment, that is in 2 Timothy 4.17, he writes that he told Timothy that no one supported him, but all deserted him. Then he added, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You know, each of these experiences in Paul's, you know, each of these experiences that the Lord has put in Paul's life came with a purpose. You know, it's easy to say, I believe in God, no? Anybody can say that. Even demons claim that they believe in God. Anybody you walk down can say, I believe in God. But the question is, do you believe God? Do you truly believe God? Paul declared his total confidence in God's knowledge of his situation and his promise in this situation. You know, there's no point for him to believe in the sailors, the ship, the sails, the wind, the route, all of that. It was no point of him believing, having kind of fair weather faith. The weather is so good, so my faith is good today. You know, I like what Job says. Job says that though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's the kind of faith that Paul had. You know, for Paul, right, God was so real, even in the most dreadful of all circumstances. Now, Paul couldn't keep this hope to himself. Like today we learned about hope. Uh, today we reflected upon hope and grace, right? You know, he wanted to pass it on to the people in the ship, including the believers. There was Luke and Aristarchus. And slowly through time, he was passing on his hope and his confidence to God, to the rest of the people in the ship. You know, can you imagine? Did people slowly trust, start to trust Paul? He was not a chaplain in the ship. He was supposed to go to Rome and there he would be probably be executed. But slowly people started to trust Paul. In fact, God was the only hope for the people, for the Alexandrian ship and in that helpless situation. And Paul spoke about his hope and belief in God. You know, in our lives, brothers and sisters, when people see you and me, you know, in our good times and tough times, um, 
Do they see that we belong to God, we serve God? Do they see that in us? Or um, are we like Eeyore? How many of you know Eeyore? Yeah, there go. All our kids have got their hands raised up, sergeant raised up. Eeyore is, uh, I do not know, he, is he, he's a unique character. Winnie the Pooh. Okay, now we get Winnie the Pooh. Does not want to hang out with Eeyore. Reason is, even on the most brightest and the sunniest of all days, Eeyore is like, it's too bright. It's too sunny. Everybody is just too positive, meaning everybody has so much of hope in Jesus. I don't want to have hope in Jesus. That's Eeyore. He's one of the bleakest cartoon characters ever to come out. So Winnie the Pooh does not want to hang out with him. But kids, who does Winnie the Pooh want to hang out with? Piglet, Tigger, and Christopher Robbins. You know, storms can have an impact on us. But does it change the way you look at God and the way you reflect God in your life? You know, if we have the Eeyore effect in us, you know, then that's not faith. That's not faith. It'll make people who also travel along with us all the more gloomier and make them also not trust in God. Howard Hendricks, he quotes that you cannot impart what you do not possess. So some practical takeaways for us. Brothers and sisters, be reminded of your position in Christ. Okay, Be reminded of your position in Christ, just like Paul was. You're a child of God. You are precious in His sight. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, you are God's handiwork. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's possession. You were called once out of darkness and into Light. Once you were not even a people, but now you're God's people. The second point is be reminded that you're, you're a servant of God wherever you go. Where at your workplace, at college, wherever you go, even you take a rickshaw or an Uber cab, please understand that you represent Christ there. Godward focused service wherever you are, whether you're on land on, you're in sky and at sea. You are a servant of God. God word service. The Lord's servants are always on duty. Always on duty. Is it true? We have, no, we have no off day to share the gospel. In Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Be reminded of your position in Christ. Be reminded that you're a servant of Christ. And third, from this narrative we can learn that be reminded to believe God's promises and that God answers prayer. God is always faithful in His promises, whether or not we can see it or experience it. Today we spoke about the covenant. Second Samuel seven twenty eight says that your covenant is trustworthy. 
Look at Acts 27 verses 4. And there's a little clue over there. Look at Acts 27 verse 4. It says, Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. The words God has granted implies that Paul was probably praying for them also. God did not just want to save Paul, uh, you know, Luke and Aristarchus, but the other lives, the 276 lives mattered to God. My dear brothers and sisters, does the world know that we pray for them? Do your neighbors know? Do, you, do your professors know? Do your teachers know? Do your workmates know? CBF Church, we would encourage you to pray Let's not look inward. Let's not have that ear effect, but let's look at people outward and represent who God is in our life. In 1984, there was a quote in the Our Daily Bread about David Livingston. Okay, I'm just going to read this out. You know, David Livingston was receiving an honorary doctorate from Glasgow University. And as he rose to speak, he was gaunt and haggard. And as a result of the hardships he's gone through tropical Africa, his, his, you know, his left arm was crushed by a lion, hung hopelessly at his side as he announced his resolve to return to Africa with great gladness. Now, this is what he says again. He added, would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among our people? whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was hostile? It was this, he says, Lo, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. On these words, I staked everything that I knew and those words never failed me. Paul's eyes were set on the Lord in spite of the situation he went through. My dear brothers and sisters, Paul, in the midst of that storm, Demonstrate without question that he belongs to God. He serves this God and he believed God. I pray that these words of Paul will just ring through our hearts as we continue on the journey from Acts 27, 27 to 44. So en route now, they are in the storm and Soon it's going to be the shipwreck at Malta. And Paul is now to def trying to defend these passengers in the ships, okay? Two entire weeks of misery and terror, 14 days lost at sea. 14 days, okay? Sensing that the land was nearby, the sailors took proper precautions by doing the sounding and to seeing the depth so that they would not crash. And probably the threat of a shipwreck was coming up. So the men probably would have prayed. At the same time, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of movement happening in the ship. The sailors, knowing that land is nearby, now they want to escape. They didn't care for the passengers. No, but look at what Paul does. 276 souls, 276 lives. He is fighting for each one of them. There's only... Apart from him, there is only Luke and Aristarchus, right? We would normally fight for each other, right? Because, you know, you know, we are family, right? We are church, you know? But would we, you know, it just takes me to the gospel when Jesus says, you know what, I would just go after that, even that one. And you can see the love that Paul has even for his enemies, in fact. And Paul says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. He takes charge now. Can you believe that? He takes charge and intervenes now. 
there's probably two reasons. One is the crew was needed, okay, so that everybody could be, even if there's a shipwreck, they know exactly what to do. Two, probably Paul sensed that God's promise to him to give him the lives of the whole ship was true. He says, as I'm granting you, as you have said. So probably Paul believed in that. You know what happens? The soldiers have great trust in Paul and they start responding to what Paul is saying. Now Paul takes it to another spiritual level, verse 33 to 37. He urges them again to take food. But this time he does something very different. He's telling them, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any one of you. You know, after he said these things, can you look into a Bible as to what does he do? Verses 33 and 37. What does, what does Paul do? I'm sure the Bible is right in front of us. Um, what does Paul do? Yeah, encourages him to eat the food and then he does something very different. Yeah, he takes the bread and he gives thanks. Reminds me of portions where Jesus' ministry, Jesus does the same thing, right? He gives thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and he began to eat. And it says they were all encouraged and ate some for themselves. Now Paul demonstrated gratitude to, gratitude to God in the presence of the two six. You know, Paul's offering the bread was more than a simple saying of grace that we sometimes do, you know, uh, when we have our meals, a quick prayer. No, he was not doing that. But it was a sincere thanks and gratitude to God. Some, some commentator says probably he was reflecting the Lord's table. We do not know there. We do not know there. But definitely the seekers, the people who were in the ship knew that Paul truly believed God. And that was a response of true gratitude and love back to God in the ship. On, in the ship. Now, maybe Luke and Aristarchus would have been sitting there and smiling because they completely understood the deeper significance of it. Paul was presenting God as the one who saves us from all our trials, including death. If there's any one of you sitting here who do not know Jesus, we want to tell you as a church, there's only one true hope for a man or a woman, physically and spiritually, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. There's only one mediator who can mediate your sins between God and who can restore you as how we heard today morning because the wages of your sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. There's only one true hope and that's Jesus. You know, only a man who was in touch with God could actually portray such faith and gratitude in the audience of, of an audience of soldiers, prisoners, sailors, captains, and others. And then we hear about the shipwreck at Malta, verse 44b, and it says, So it was that all were brought safely to the land. And how many people are mentioned, just taking a toll, how many people are mentioned? Two? Seventy-six. Was there any loss? Zero loss of life 
zero loss of life. You know, my dear brothers and sisters, as a Christian, if you are sure of your position in Christ and your service to Christ, if you are sure of God's word and the promises of God and that God answers prayer for your own good, irrespective of the outcomes, you're called to encourage others. Not only in the church, you're called to encourage your neighbors as well with the same confidence that you have in Jesus. You know, he shared his hope and encouragement to everybody in the ship. He did not have favorites in the ship. He showed no partiality. He did everything well so that they saw who his God was. You know, encourage others by telling them about God's greatness and power to save them. Do not hold back from sharing the gospel. You know, discern and honestly share of your faith to them. You know, many, maybe there there might be a few of you who are sitting here who have faith. But probably you're just positive people or very optimistic. Nothing can move you. Let me ask you, do you have faith where your soul will go to? Do you have faith that your sins can be addressed? So it's not that we want to encourage you to move through life storms, but our greater question is that, you know, you can be positive, but everything will not turn out okay. Unless you know Jesus as your personal Savior. Remember, church, encourage others by telling them of God's greatness and power, and we must tell them about God and His power to save them from their sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage others by, tele- by being with them and practically ministering to them in their point of need. You know, I, I'm, uh, is Podiamichi here? Yeah. Podiamichi was unwell um, some time back. Podiamichi is Lisa's Amichi. Lisa's, Li- and, the, and the Kiru's um, um, Amichi. Um, and then Amichi, Podiamichi was not well, right? Um, I heard through people, and I think many of you hear, that she was so positive. She shared the gospel with whoever. She, she was always positive to people who came nearby. Looked at an opportunity to share the gospel, even through her health, even at her age. Even she was, she was exuberating a hope and confidence in God. You know, you can encourage by being with people, practically ministering to them in the point of need. You know, all the Luke and Aristarchus probably um, would have said much to encourage Paul. Nothing is recorded, okay? The only thing that was recorded is they were there, present, and definitely was a source of strength to Paul. You know, Paul being there in that ship at, at the cost of his life, Paul was probably nearing his 60s by this time. Um, 55 to 60s, probably. Um, But he being there spared the lives of the prisoners and spared a total of 276 souls. Do you think people would have seen Jesus through Paul? People would have sensed God's presence in the ship? You know, sometimes we hesitate to go visit people, right? Who are not like us. But can we do that? Don't worry about what you will say. You know, Job's friends, they went and spent time with it. It's when they started to speak, there's an issue there. Okay? 
So sometimes just being there with with people who are not even we need to be there for each other, but you know we need to look more outward, just like Paul. Are you visible in your communities? Are you visible to your neighbors? Are you visible to people in and around you? You know, we can't keep on evangelizing each other. You know, we spend so much of time with each other, which is great, okay, which is nice. But there is many souls, just like the 276, that is waiting to hear the gospel. Encourage others by praying for them intentionally. Nepal put his feelings aside and prayed that all would be delivered. He prayed for their emotional, physical, and most importantly, their spiritual surrender. I think when he broke the bread and he gave thanks, I think that would have been a moment in the ship. And don't think it was a straight ship probably at that point of time. It was battered, bruised, broken. The mast was gone. They They were all over the place. And there he found an opportunity to remember his God. You know, um, visit those outside the fold. Invest into their lives for the sake of the gospel. Let them know that they are prayed for in the name of the God you believe. Can we do this more, CBF? Can we do this more by just praying for people? Telling them, Jacob even knows someone. Jacob knows a friend. He's not a, you know, Jacob gets to know him and says, you know, man, I'm praying for you. Every Tuesday, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your situation. I'm praying for a reason. You know, I'm praying that you would be healed, but most importantly, I pray that you would have spiritual surrender of coming to Jesus. Can we try, church? Can we try? If Paul could do this. In the midst of a battered sea for 14 long days, Let's not look inward, let's look outward. Can we try? Can we try? You know, our personal trials, our personal trials um, has a way of revealing more of Christ to us. If God uses the storm to reveal more of Christ to Paul or to bring any of the men on board to Jesus Christ, then, listen to this, the life-threatening ordeal would have been worth it. If God encourages you in the storm, reveals more of himself to you, you know, uses you to pray and bring someone to Christ or to encourage one of his people, then it's worth it. It's worth it to be in the storm, however painful it will be. Let's look at these principles as we look at these two narratives that we can take away. It's conclusion. I'm just going to read a testimony and. Um, It's from the Message Bible. And then as we read that to the end, um, the music team will be leading us in a song and I request you to rise up. And as you sing that song or as you learn that song, let conviction and surrender come from your heart. Remember your position in Christ. Remember that Jesus is not only for you, but also Jesus is also for those who do not know him. I'm reading from the Message Bible. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled and stoned with rocks once. 
I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a day and night. In hard traveling year in and year out, I have had to ford rivers, fend of robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and the anxieties of all the churches, now listen to this, beautiful, huh? When someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ was blessed forever. Apostle Paul. Dear church, dear family, all listeners, Paul truly knew he belonged to God and he believed God. Paul truly believed he was loved and known by his Lord. Paul truly believed that all of God's design for his life would be done in his will and time. Paul believed that he bore Christ's image in his earthly broken frame. Paul was so sure that the measure of his worth and state would be declared by God. Hence, in the midst of everything, Paul's heart was free to bring encouragement, hope, and the gospel to others. Even to the 276 that was accounted for, Paul interceded. At the end, we will hear soon that he left his life in the loving arms and the care of his Lord Jesus. Pandita Ramabai, a pioneer of, of Indian missions, this dear sister writes, a life, a life totally committed to God is nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to regret. A life totally committed to God has nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and nothing to regret. I pray that would be the prayer of CBF. Now, Paul's life was not his own. He belonged to God. He served his God and believed God. Maybe all at CBF, as we all rise up to sing this song, live victorious faith-based lives personally as the way Paul lived and demonstrated as we studied in this chapter. And that assurance that we have in Christ would be expressed even to the world outside that needs Jesus. Remember, Paul belonged to God. He served this God and he believed God. As we sing this song at the end, Sergeant would be closing the sermon in prayer. <laughs>